Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for Magical Thinking, episode 14 of season six of Supergirl. And the topic for this week is things said and things unsaid, and perhaps why they are unsaid with regard to like interpersonal relationships and also in journalism and with transparency. And then with regard to subtext, in particular with Alex, Kelly, and Esme in this episode. Mm. And the topic of things unsaid is interesting for Alex, given her whole history. Who leaves so much unsaid all of the time. (laughs) Yes. And so this episode is notable for her because she has been searching the whole series for a way to balance being herself and pursuing her wants and needs while also not hurting her loved ones. Or like neglecting her responsibility Mm. to them, at least as she understands it. Correct. So when in season three, after not having an explicit conversation about kids before getting engaged to Maggie, Alex mentions having future children to her and Maggie reveals that she doesn't actually want them. And so Alex tries to suppress that lifelong want. Mm. Well, and speaking of things unsaid, because we'll talk about this later, you see Alex's life flash before her eyes a little bit in that moment (laughs) and Mm. go, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Conceal, don't feel. (laughs) Yes. And it goes back to that thing that we talk about a lot with Alex that like, I should have just kept my mouth shut and the idea that she shouldn't say the things that she wants. So with her like longing for kids, that becomes a sort of secret painful thing for a period in season three where she's like crying in bed next to Maggie over it. And it becomes the thing that breaks them apart. So there's a sort of heaviness to like expressing that want and her wants in general, as we know. But, you know, contrast that to in this episode where Alex is at ease and on the same page with Kelly with regard to having kids without Mm -hmm. having to say anything explicitly about it. Take in their fun fight scene. (laughs) Yeah. Where they were sort of gushing over how cute Esme was in the way that she gave Kelly a bracelet. And it was rainbow striped, which was even <gasps> cuter. That's true. Oh, it's like she knew. She knew. <laughs> yes. She's going to be a great fit. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex is not super openly expressive as a person. No. Outside of like, <laughs> you know, there are moments with Kara in her apartment in those very private spaces. So then her reactions in the scene where she is very expressive. Expressive, like, oh, I'm so glad that sort of empathetic beat with Kelly. And then when Kelly shows Alex the bracelet that Esme made, she's like, oh, and does this like mm-hmm. very dramatic pout on her face. <laughs> and, you know, compare that to the like Agent Danvers. Yeah. Very varies. serious. <laughs> Jinx. (laughs) Yes. And so here she's comfortable and able to bond over liking kids. And it's a fun thing and not painful in the way that it has been in the past. Mm, Yeah. And a piece of that is because this is something that has been established for Alex with Kelly. If you think back to when they first kind of got to know each other in season four, Mm. Kelly's known this since probably like three weeks into meeting Alex. Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because in the episode where Kara has to go to Cosnia and Alex gets the call about potentially becoming an adoptive mother, Kelly ends up going with her throughout that experience. Mm -hmm. And you have that whole scene of them like checking out jogging strollers together. (laughs) And Kelly just finds all of Alex's 
intense <laughs> worry about being a good parent, like endearing. Yeah. As opposed to being, you know, annoying or just being like, ugh, I hate kids. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's Alex at like one of her most vulnerable states where she is yes. <laughs> A, like this thing that she really wants <laughs> and B, in a very anxious state about it and kind of not being logical or thinking straight. And Kelly's like, oh, do you hear yourself now? And she's endeared. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then, you know, in this episode from Kelly's end, it's also important mm. the way that they are on the same page because here she's sure that Alex cares about like her causes and is on the same page emotionally as her and connecting with her in that way because that was something they struggled with in the Blind Spots episode this season. Mm. Yeah. And so there's this undercurrent of knowledge between them that they don't have to say out loud, but they both recognize that. We both want kids and we both care about children. And this is something that we are interested in. Yeah. And then that carries on at the end of the episode when they, without saying anything, decide to try to adopt Esme, just, you know, communicating with their faces. Mm, yes. That scene was really great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Huh. I went through a journey watching that scene because mm. I was like, oh, this just took me back <laughs> to a very specific time in my life. Mm -hmm. That seems really interesting for several reasons, because it starts out with Kelly's bond with Esme. Mm. But she's opened the door for Alex to become involved. And the moment Alex steps foot in that space, mm. she's like, well, I'm going to be involved forever now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The way they did that is really nice, because while it is about Kelly and Alex together and a decision that they're making for their life as a couple mm. it's also framed really nicely as being like this is a really big moment for Alex as a character that's a realization of things that she's really wanted for herself mm -hmm. for a long time and the way it's filmed it frames that nicely so that you see that for as much as it is a nonverbal conversation that's very well done mm. it's about her yeah. and her kind of having a moment yeah you can tell it through the way the camera lingers pushes in the time it spends on her face and the storytelling with the camera work and the editing mm, yeah gives you the hint that oh this is a weighty thing for this character yes and she cycles through an impressive amount of thoughts and feelings in a very short span of time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tyler did a really nice job with that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously because Sentinel and Guardian broke up the fight at that house, they already know what happened mm -hmm. and where it went wrong and why Esme's being taken away from these foster parents. But Alex is radiating this <laughs> like barely contained rage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> over the way that these people essentially abused Esme's powers and the way that they treated her because she is an alien. Mm -hmm. And you can see she's taking that very personally, both because they've endangered this child, but also because it is personal to her. She has a sister who is an alien. Mm -hmm. And her experience as having an adopted sister is a large part of what has motivated her to want to be a parent. Mm -hmm. And so having all of that come together and you see her make that decision of like, all of these people are doing wrong to this kid. She's in a place where she needs someone who can be stable and love her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, all right, done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's this, in terms of things unsaid, subtext of the fact that Alex's family once took an alien in, Kara. And there are some notable contrasts here between Alex's experience with Kara, the Danvers family raising her, and Esme's 
ex-foster family. <laughs> Brief experience. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Where the Danvers made sure that Kara had a childhood instead of mm. like running off and going with Clark to save the world, which was her despite, inclination. Yeah. <laughs> despite sometimes Kara's protestations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but one, well, you can trust that with this family, mm-hmm. with Esme saying like, just be a big girl keep us safe you can have ice cream later which oh. then you think about how Kara and her love of food and that's just so mean yeah <laughs> so they tell this maybe five-year-old girl to protect them <laughs> with their powers from these right. dangerous people and approaching. they are the adults yes like, they're legally obligated to take care of her <laughs> mia's alex quietly angry yes <laughs> it's fine it's fine <laughs> Yeah, I could tell you the way you jumped in that you were like, (laughs) yeah. And it's sort of reminiscent of something we've talked about before the season with the way that black children are treated as older than they actually are. Mm. And particular with Joey and James when he told a story about how he was cuffed as a child. So there's this connection with regard to, you know, being in a minority group where with aliens, oh, you have powers. So that means that you are powerful in a way that is not accurate. Mm, Yeah. And then if you think back to like in season four with the Morai who were Mm. taken as children and intentionally weaponized. Yeah. And then that was largely one of the things the Danvers adults were afraid would happen to Kara. Yeah. And Kelly says to Alex, I told them, even though she's an alien with powers, it was their job to protect her. And that is a good summary of Kara's childhood. <laughs> and that is 100% a statement that Alex would agree with because she still thinks that's what you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it almost seemed to me like a conversation they've had before. Mm. Yeah. Where Kelly knew that when she said this to Alex, that Alex would be like, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Hard agree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then we come to just the general contrast of the Danvers family being broadly accepting of Kara as part of the family. Mm, Yeah. In this episode, Kelly says they said she's not a right fit for their family. And what they mean, the subtext there is they don't want her because she got too alien for them. She demonstrated these powers and now... You know, they don't want her anymore. Yeah. Well, the other piece of it that's going unsaid is that everybody involved in this scene knows that these foster parents did something wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Alex and Kelly know it. Esme knows it. The adults know it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, time to no longer deal with this, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Kelly says to little Esme, but it's only a matter of time till you get a new foster family, one that can help you understand your powers. And that's an interesting beat because, A, it is saying another family will accept her as an alien without maybe Mm. explicitly naming that the reason this family rejected her was xenophobia. Yeah. Well, and the other piece, too, that's nice about that is the way Kelly phrases it about help you understand your powers. It actually reflects what Esme tries to say when she's scared, which is she doesn't know Mm. what she did or how it happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then B is just the fact that that's what the Danvers family did for Kara. Yeah. Which is fun to think about sometimes because we've had Kara talk about, you know, practicing learning how to pet Streaky and get a handle on some of her powers and stuff. Mm-hmm. We also know from early in season two when Kara was trying to figure out how best to approach like connecting with Monel, Alex talks about how she was initially very excited not only <laughs> to have a sister but an alien sister mm-hmm. because that seemed exciting. <laughs> um, and then, yes. you know, expectation met reality. And, um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and that reality was more challenging than perhaps 14, 15 year old Alex knew to expect. Mm-hmm. And even if you think in the flashback we saw this season to an older Kara and Alex who are in their late teens, you know, on the verge of becoming adults. Alex is like, she's really paranoid about Kara using her powers in front of people or of all the bad things that could happen. But we also see that she does still genuinely like admire when Kara does powerful things or really just kind of awe inspiring things. And we see that, you know, in early season one as well, despite all of Alex's concerns and fears, like she still very much loves and appreciates what Kara can do for itself. Mm -hmm. There are like sort of bits of prejudice or like (laughs) judgment on the basis of Kara being an alien that pop up from time to time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the core of Alex is proud of Kara and they work through those issues. And it's not like a simple thing. It's always there. But at the end of the day, they are family. Yeah. And it's kind of similar to, you know, the conflict Alex had with Kelly, where there Mm -hmm. are some things that she just doesn't get because of the difference of experience. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, you have to accept it and find a way to communicate and work around it. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, the difference between, say, the Danvers family, three humans welcoming Kara mm-hmm. into their home and this family where they just opted out. And for the Danvers, these elements are not always easy to navigate. That part of like making Kara feel like she belongs in the family. The identity stuff has been messy sometimes. The stuff with powers can be difficult. Mm. And so the Danvers family made mistakes or even just choices that are like debatable. (laughs) (laughs) But they loved her and took care of her. Yeah. Well, and I've had discussions about this with people before about the difference between, you know, Alex as a sister And taking care of Kara in that older sibling way of like, (laughs) I'm going to tell you what to do in a way that parrots what my mom and dad tell you what to do because I'm older than you and I'm the boss Um, (laughs) versus the amount of obligation that let's say like Eliza has to Kara, which is not just the like, I need to make sure you're doing the things that you're supposed to do, but also thinking about the long term goals of like, Making sure Kara is an emotionally healthy person, making Mm -hmm. sure that she can function on her own Mm -hmm. in the world, providing for her materially, providing for her socially, emotionally. Like there's a lot more that goes into it. And it's something you sign up for forever. (laughs) And and Mm -hmm. as we see in this handful of scenes of Esme with this foster family, they're not in it when it gets hard. Mm -hmm. They see her as like a I don't want to say a thing, but a little bit. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She becomes, in the way that you just mentioned with the Morai, like in a time where they were in trouble, she becomes like a defense, like a security system that they can just put outside. Yeah. Like a piece of property, basically, Mm -hmm. which is gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, you know, that history that Alex witnessed, and she's talked about before with Eliza, like respecting the way that she raised Alex and Kara. Mm. That past that she has, even though it's not like said, informs Alex's decision here. Yeah, it 100% does. And if you think back on what's impacting Alex making this decision here in 614, we've heard throughout the series in little snippets here and there, you know, that the Danvers family saw that Kara needed someone and she needed a family. Mm -hmm. And they chose to act Mm -hmm. and seemingly without much hesitation. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And while we were talking about this episode, you mentioned this quote that Eliza said to Alex in season one that is pretty relevant to that idea. Mm. Carr was a little girl from another planet. She lost everything. I didn't know how to do anything but accept her. Yeah. And 
that's essentially the same value that is driving Alex's decisions in this moment where, you know, she's looking at this little kid who's basically saying, it's okay, maybe no one will ever want me. Mm-hmm. And going, well, but why wouldn't someone want you? Mm-hmm. You're great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're great. You're mine now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically, like, she's acting from that same place as Eliza, essentially, of compassion and of wanting to help mm-hmm. and of believing that things will be better this way. So. Mm-hmm. It's very Supergirl-esque. <laughs> it is. Yes. And it also goes back to one of Alex's core foundational sort of conflicts, but also like aspirations with her mom and the ways that she wants to be like her. <laughs> yeah. She's very much taking after her in this moment. And that idea is reinforced, interestingly, by the final shot of the episode that happens right before the villain tease with Nixley which is Alex and Kelly are walking forward with Esme's hands in their hands and the camera pans up the house that's behind them to the top window. And it, of course, evokes just a sense of home, you know. Mm, yeah. But it's also reminiscent of, you know, to me, Alex looking through the second story window of the Danvers family home. Mm, in the pilot episode, yeah. Yep, when Kara first arrived. Yeah, and if you think back to Kara's voiceover, she says about that moment was going to change her life forever. Mm, and right. the same for Alex. And so this is a really nice circle back to that. Yeah. And Alex and Esme's life are about to change forever. And for Alex, she's struggled with balancing her genuine love of family and and those values with what she personally wants and personally needs. And in adopting Esme, she will be honoring both of those things. (laughs) And it all reminds me of a line that Kara said to Alex in season three when Alex was having a hard time (laughs) with the fact that she decided to break up with Maggie to pursue having a kid. And Kara says, you will have all the things. And we're seeing that happen. Yeah. And it's pretty great. (laughs) And it's (laughs) great. not yet. There were a lot of people who thought that literally they were just taking Esme with them. (laughs) They were just walking her to the car. Like... (laughs) That has not happened. I have a feeling it'll be spread out more over the next few episodes Mm. just to give it a little bit more pacing because Alex needs her time to panic over making a life choice immediately (laughs) as she does. Yeah. Well, and I also anticipate maybe some problems. Mm, Yeah. With the actually getting Esme. Yeah. So that was Alex and the ways that this idea of things unsaid was relevant to her. Let's talk about William and journalism in this episode Mm. and the ways that he struggled with saying things or not saying things. Yeah, that was quite a struggle in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, he's very much stuck between sort of two points of view being Kara and Andrea. And Andrea wants basically a tell-all, wants him to say everything for the sake of entertainment and and success for Kako. Yes. Andrea, our wonderful friend whose technology background has not equipped her to run a media outlet. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's some commentary there with, say, like Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Facebook that didn't start out sharing news at all and now is just like in trouble the world over for possibly Mm -hmm. damaging democracy. Right. (laughs) That minor, yeah. That minor thing. So, Andrea, you're okay. I mean, it's not at that scale. (laughs) Yeah, so on that front, like, she could be doing worse. So, (laughs) I don't know that that's a compliment, but but one of the big things about journalism, and this is one of the things I really had admired about the show in season one, number one, that it placed women in the show into very male-dominated professions. Journalism 
being one of them, Mm. but also that all of the female characters of Supergirl throughout the series have been in these professions that require an extremely high degree of integrity, which is, Mm. you know, being able to hold true to your principles and be somewhat uncorruptible. Mm. And that was something that Kat definitely always understood. Mm -hmm. And we saw that a lot in her mentorship of Kara and even in the storyline with Siobhan, Mm. when Siobhan was trying to pursue those more salacious, gossipy kinds of ideas and things like that. Kat, as much as she was a difficult person, you could always rely upon her to have that kind of integrity. Yeah, which is why it was actually nice that we got to see her again in her pre-media mogul iteration of her because we did see that she maybe didn't like the things that she was being tasked with doing or the way that she was being told to do them. And that tells you a lot about who she is as a character and the values that she has and how that later shapes the trajectory of Katko. Mm -hmm. And so related to that, Andrea and her sweet, innocent mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny because she resents the fact that her journalists push back against her because Kara has repeatedly and William Mm -hmm. is too in this episode. And they're right. (laughs) um, And actually, this episode did a pretty good job of explaining kind of Mm -hmm. the way journalism works in a way that maybe has been lacking in seasons past. So like Mm -hmm. that was nice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the points that William made in this episode were really important. Like number one, you won't continue to get access to good sources or information if you run around revealing everything about them at the drop of a hat with Mm -hmm. no discretion. And the way that U.S. law is designed Freedom of the press actually also includes the right of journalists to protect their sources and protect their identities. Mm -hmm. Because if you didn't have that, then the press wouldn't be a good check on corruption, for example. Because you could just come after anybody who says anything. (laughs) Exactly. And that has a very bad chilling effect on Mm. freedom of information and on the ability to, you know, stop bad things from happening Mm -hmm. or shut them down. And William is kind of realizing he's walking into an ethical (laughs) quandary like that in this episode. And the other piece of it, which Andrea does not seem to want to grasp, I think she on some level does, Mm. but she doesn't maybe want to admit it, is that it takes time to build the rapport with a source to be able to do the kind of in-depth expose or the embedding that Mm. William is doing. And it runs counter to the pace at which digital media moves, which is, you know, instant gratification. (laughs) Which is why, as a business model, Andrea's eggs being all in one basket is not wise. No, yeah. And it's also why she continues being frustrated by Catco's alleged lack of progress, Hmm. rebuilding its reputation as a source of news. And it's like, well, it doesn't happen overnight. Like, (laughs) if you were previously this one thing that didn't have a good reputation, like, people have to trust you first. (laughs) And they won't do that if you're rushing it and making it very artificial. And so it was nice to see that as a conflict because that's a place where they've been a little hit or miss. Yeah. And you could see how releasing every bit of information that you find without any discretion can have some negative consequences with, say, WikiLeaks, which very much purports journalistic values, but then does not quite hold themselves to those standards. So for those of you who don't know... WikiLeaks is a media company of dubious (laughs) repute. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So WikiLeaks kind of emerged like 15 years ago. And there's been a collection of just tons of data. They still 
collect and occasionally release data. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, they don't look at it first to see what is of value or if they're putting anyone in danger by adding the information and just throwing it out on a website. Mm-hmm. And it's caused a lot of problems over the years for that reason. <laughs> and the person who's like the owner of it has a pretty terrible reputation as a human being. Mm. Yeah. So they'll release information like leaks without curating any of it or like redacting anything, which will then result in the release of, say, like genuinely newsworthy information right alongside stuff that just like should stay private, <laughs> like social security and credit card numbers, phone numbers and names of people who are gay, rape victims, a person who attempted suicide at one point was named. And often private citizens are harmed. But even with regard to people who are in power or in government, Releasing everything without curating it has fostered misinformation. It's fostered gossip. (laughs) Well, the reason that it continues to cause such a headache for the world at large is that typically when people in media get their hands on information like this, They release it in partnership with a legitimate media organization or with multiple, which we'll Mm -hmm. give you a counterexample in a second. WikiLeaks has never done that. Mm -hmm. And one of the other reasons that it has become kind of so infamous is that it compromises national security for a lot of countries (laughs) because Uh some of the data includes, you know, diplomatic cables or it's exposed the names of sources of intelligence around the world. And so those people then are put in jeopardy and end up being killed or have to be pulled out of their situations because someone kind of irresponsibly just threw all this information out there with no context and just left it for anyone and everyone to peruse. Versus, so if you follow the news recently, there's been a bunch of articles about this new data collection called the Pandora Papers. Mm -hmm. The idea being like Pandora's box, which you open (laughs) and all of the bad things come out into the world. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) But that is a huge collection of documents and data that was investigated and released by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. Mm -hmm. And it was released via legitimate media outlets in, I think, over 100 countries simultaneously, Mm -hmm. rather than being just tossed out there by a private individual on a random website. (laughs) Yeah. The Washington Post put out a letter to the editor mentioning how they scoured the documents in partnership with other media organizations. They validated the material and they conducted additional reporting. They needed to put it in context, (laughs) which is important. And, you know, WikiLeaks does not do any of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, they also said to minimize unnecessary harm to individuals and institutions, we have removed account numbers, metadata and other other identifying information from documents before they are published. (laughs) Which you're actually just supposed to do as part of data privacy laws generally. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that piece with regard to unnecessary harm to individuals and institutions, and as a journalist, maybe trying not to inflict that harm, we have William and his conflict with Kara, who for most of the episode is like, say nothing. Kara says, so if you write about this and what we're doing, Nixley could find a way to stop us. But if you write about this and don't write about what we're doing, it'll look like we're losing and that will cause people to panic. So your only move is to not write about Nixley at all. (laughs) To which William says, you'd make a good reporter. So Kara does understand the importance of revealing the truth responsibly. Yeah. And so this was also nice the way they did this piece because it reflected how this works in real life to Mm -hmm. an extent, which was cool. So in a real life situation, when there are security issues at stake, for example, like 
a member of, let's say, the White House press corps, someone who's assigned to that beat or to like the national intelligence beat will actually take their sources requests for delay or discretion under consideration Mm -hmm. before deciding to go to press with a story, both out of respect for their source, because, you know, you need the mutual trust in that relationship or at least some level of respect Mm -hmm. or you'll stop getting information and then (laughs) there will be no point to your job. (laughs) And, you know, you can't maintain that relationship if a reporter goes and does something that jeopardizes public safety or an entire operation by timing the release of the information incorrectly and causing harm. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the conflict that William is weighing internally. Like he doesn't put it in those words exactly, but he is trying to figure out how to be transparent to people to alleviate some worry (laughs) while also protecting his sources sufficiently. Mm-hmm. And Andrea's really pushing him in one direction and Kara's kind of backpedaling in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And so he's left in the middle trying to sort out, you know, what is true, what is fair and what is the right thing to do here. Yeah. And for Kara, it's interesting because in this case, you know, she's a reporter, but she's also influenced by being at the epicenter of the story. And yes, <laughs> like she personally feels like things are escalating and out of control and she, she's keeping a very tight grip on everything and including how much she lets other people have a say and say how they help her mm-hmm. like in game night she doesn't let them help her like relax <laughs> and then like not telling the people what's going on with Nixley and in each case these all make some logical sense but for her she's also not recognizing that there's an underlying pressure with her as someone who feels responsible for everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is influencing the way that she is perceiving the situation she also doesn't say to William like wait <laughs> say this later after we have things figured out she's just kind of trying to shut things down and keep things in control. But, you know, it's up to William to push back against both like letting financial gain, which is Andrea's goal, or public perception, which is kind of what's driving Kara in one of the scenarios where they release the Nixley story without saying what their plan is going to be. She's like, people will panic. He can't let that dictate how much information he reports, which, you know, like we mentioned, this is something that Kat navigated pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As much as she was driven by strengthening Catco as this media empire, she also grew to recognize the importance of the stories they tell or don't tell, say the celebrity who was like spotted at a gay bar in season one. Mm -hmm. And she had decided that it was kind of low hanging fruit and like not helpful for them as a media company to tell stories like that. Hmm. Yeah. And then later in the season, to go back to this idea of Kat as a person of very strong integrity Mm -hmm. and recognizing her own responsibilities as as a journalist and the head of a media company, she decides to put her own relationship with Supergirl potentially at further risk of harm mm. in falling, where she recognizes that she has to warn the public that mm-hmm. Supergirl potentially poses a danger to everyone, despite the potential repercussions in the form of you know, her own fear that Kara might come back and do something worse. And the ways that the public may begin to feel fear. (laughs) Yeah. And also, you know, making people lose their trust in Supergirl as a force for good, despite knowing, you know, she very clearly clocked that something was wrong Mm -hmm. with Kara that was making her act that way. But she had to weigh the option of, do I give you time to figure it out or do I warn people to stay away? Mm -hmm. 
And she also did that, you know, to contrast with Andrea, despite having her own personal, emotional and financial investment Mm -hmm. in Supergirl and her success as a media icon. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then a decision like that, it's kind of like Kat said about the ways that she criticized Supergirl early on. Mm, Yeah. It makes people trust her. (laughs) Yeah. That she will tell the truth in an unbiased way. Exactly. Because you can't just be like, yeah, everything's fine when like the city's (laughs) falling apart. Like no one's going to believe you. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing that is driving Kara is a bit of like trying to control the way that people react emotionally. And that is not the job of (laughs) a reporter. I mean, ideally to sort of anticipate reaction and then say or not say things based on how people will take it. Yeah. The goal is to just deliver the information, which James actually says in season four when they're trying to figure out how to navigate the children of liberty. He's like, Mm -hmm. we present the information and let people make their decisions. Yes. Yeah. Which is hard for Carr. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, But moving to another character who has a history with regard to saying things or not saying things, we have Lena and Mm. this question of transparency in this episode and also subtext. Because there's this unspoken history with Lena and with Kara and with Lena and Nanuchere. And Lena in this episode talks about her mom's mistakes around secrecy and hurting others. Mm. But her own pretty directly relevant past with keeping secrets and making choices for everyone without like oversight. Or consent. Or yeah. consent. Yeah, that too. That remains subtext. When Kara says greater good, she's like, do you hear yourself right now? That sort of nod to Lena's greater good plot in season five. Yeah, but that's as far as it ever goes. Yes. And there's also this subtextual relationship dynamic reversal where Kara's the one pushing past boundaries with Lena, whereas Lena was doing that to her a lot in season five. And on the topic of things unsaid, this storyline with Kara and Lena, it's missing that beat of like, we're friends now, but I still remember you hurting me. Mm, yeah. Which is also a time thing. But it skipped to like, oh, now Kara's doing the same thing to Lena in a way that feels kind of uncomfortable given the way that Lena was manipulating Kara and hurting her on purpose for weeks psychologically and then physically with kryptonite she also put her life in danger and with the express purpose of causing harm to her exactly and then the point of season five for lena was that she had continued the luther family cycle of abuse and lena is most compelling as a hero not because she never hurt anyone the way her family did but because she did (laughs) but then she recognized it like took steps to change and then she found a way to be a positive force in the world Mm, yeah and that piece where she's like learning to live with herself But the show frequently, instead of really facing this truth of Lena's character, sort of shrinks from it or maybe over explains it, which was an issue in season five. But, you know, not saying it doesn't make it go away. (laughs) So then in this episode, when it's like Kara's now doing all the things that Lena did and not to the scale. And I don't know that they necessarily are trying to say that it's the same thing. But the sort of flip where like Lena's suddenly in a place to be giving car that kind of advice is, is far <laughs> Felt too soon. a little soon. insincere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and so our final character with regard to saying things and not saying things is Kara. Yeah. Uh, she's having a time. <laughs> She's sort of acting out of character and we can tell how distressed she is right off the bat when she wants to forego game night, which is this huge value activity for Kara with regard to like stronger together and connecting to people. 
And we see how like just talking about her connection to Nixley has her very like activated. She says, I feel like I'm constantly just waiting for it to happen. I can't think of anything else. Mm, yeah. And we know that she's working because Andrea mentioned Carr and the others are already covering the chaos. But we only really see her as Supergirl. And we see her also as just Kara at the beginning of the episode. Reluctantly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in terms of like her daily life, she's always in Supergirl mode. Yeah. And given what we talked about in the last episode and the idea that she didn't pass her gauntlet for bravery and it's tied to something about how she connects or doesn't connect the different pieces of her life and the different facets of who she is. Mm -hmm. This is leaning a little bit into that because mm -hmm. Kara's behavior here was very similar to, although not quite as bad as, <laughs> her behavior in early season three when she's grieving the loss of Monel. And we saw her trying to channel all of her energy into being Supergirl. And she eventually explains to Alex why. And it's her way of compensating for feeling like other parts of her life are emotionally challenging or out of control because Supergirl is a way that she can very tangibly take action and see results. Mm. Whereas lingering in the human space of Kara Danvers or the loneliness of Kara Zorel is very mm. abstract and very hard. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about why all of that might be <laughs> scary to Kara right now, she really hasn't talked about anything that she experienced emotionally in the Phantom Zone since that first episode when she came back with Alex. Mm -hmm. And she's just been kind of trying to do her strategy of dive into things and keep herself busy and don't think about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't seem like it's going well. <laughs> and during game night, we see the Super Friends express concern. They're like, it's game night. Remember, we thought that it would cheer you up. Uh, <laughs> Kelly's like, we all need to relax and decompress. You most of all, Kara. And the part of it that is unsaid, even though they are also like mentioning that, hey, we're concerned, is the scale of the concern. Mm -hmm. It's this sort of like almost intervention yeah. <laughs> energy. Like Lena, before Kara flies in, is like, hopefully she'll be home soon and then we can. There's sort of like a conspiratorial, like, we'll, we'll make her mm -hmm. feel better thing happening. Yeah, it is very reminiscent of early in season three when Wynn and James are frustrated that Kara is skipping game nights and mm -hmm. pizza and not coming in social at all so like she's not that bad yet you know <laughs> you know she's surprised that they are there but she doesn't snap and tell them to get out <laughs> which yeah. she appreciates Kara was in that place yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then when Kara does her like evil Nixley laugh the super friends are like looking at each other with horrified faces so there's this just quiet like hmm <laughs> You're like, right hey, there. Kara's maybe yeah, pushing herself a little too far in some directions that are not good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see, you know, what the progression is there with Kara and also with regard to her relationships with other characters and how much they say or don't say about it. Yes. And that wraps up our thoughts on our topic of kind of things said and unsaid throughout the course of this episode. Mm -hmm. As always, we have some closing kind of little thoughts mm -hmm. about other topics that came up in the episode. And the first one relates also to Kara. <laughs> yes. Kara is not creating boundaries for herself in so far as she has taken on this connection with Nixley for the greater good, basically. She's not carving out a space for downtime like at the game night. It's like a work-life balance issue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we see that same mindset of like no boundaries. <laughs> reflected in how she's interacting with Lena, not just in terms of like pushing her to use her magic, but literally, I can't believe that you would not help. <laughs> yeah, that was harsh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the standard that Carr is holding herself to right now. 
And for Cora, this episode was interesting. Her characterization got sort of confusing. Mm, yeah. I think in part because the message of the episode was hard to track. Yeah. The focus was on like the, the totem that represented humanity, but I did not come away from this episode with a clear idea of what it was trying to say about humanity. And that mm-hmm. felt odd given that the show has spent so much time developing that as a topic because it deals with <laughs> aliens who are trying to live in a world of humans. Mm-hmm. And season three, you know, speaking of Kara and how her behavior was very similar to how it's been in a season where she grappled with her own sense of humanity, there really wasn't any connection to that. Mm -hmm. Also, just the way that humanity was very simplified into, okay, without compassion, people are just going to like riot lawlessly. Mm. Like it made for a lot of cool stunts. (laughs) (laughs) But there's also other ways that could have been smaller and done with fewer people or in kind of a more impactfully emotional way Mm -hmm. that maybe could have taken the story to some different places that had a more cohesive message. Mm -hmm. Well, I think humanity was framed in a way that makes sense for Lena specifically. Humanity for her is like transparency, (laughs) connecting to people in that way, valuing other people over the greater good, not playing God. All those were big things in season five with Nanda Sherry. But then the way that they employed this concept of humanity shaped by Lena's character was not... It didn't challenge her emotionally. Yeah. Like... It put an obstacle in her path as far as the magic, but like there was no real like Mm -hmm. self-revelation. Right. And so for Lena, making a hard decision, but also being transparent about it and making it with other people makes sense. Like that is an important thing for her. It just didn't challenge Lena as a character. It challenged Carr as a character in ways that don't quite match up what what we expect for Carr and humanity. Mm. So for other little things, if we have Nia... Speaking of subtext, sort of, she seems like she's doing better. Mm, yeah. <laughs> she's sort of playful and confident in a way that she struggled with in the past. Yes. And her line delivery on the Lena Broke My Brain was <laughs> amazing. Mm-hmm. And also she had this fabulous double French braid thing happening in that game night scene. And it looked awesome. agreed and then let's see other little things that were deeply enjoyable alex's fiercely intense jenga competition (laughs) which somehow feels like it fits with the fact that she also has freakishly good aim exactly i can like throw things at people Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and then like the william and lena scene was really moving in a Mm. way that took me by surprise Mm -hmm. and then i loved it The way it was structured was really nice and that they had this nice little kind of bonding moment over grief, over the loss of a parent, but then also the message that is creeping in as like the core takeaway for the season of, you know, you have to be true to yourself rather than doing what you think maybe you should Mm. based on other people's expectations. Yeah, the Lena scenes interacting with characters other than like Kara and Alex have been really nice, like with Nia and here with William. Switching it up a little bit has Mm. been fun. Yeah. Also, the Kara and Lena hangout with the pot stickers was delightful. <laughs> we love Kara just leaning into the fact that she could care less about good manners when food is involved. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> for Andrea, <laughs> she continues, I think, to grapple with her her deep longing to be a super friend. <laughs> yeah, she... Um... Speaking of things that are going unsaid, she seems a little bit like she'd rather be the one in William's shoes. (laughs) 
Yes. And she's like, they're not your friends. And I'm like, Andrea, are you a little bit jealous? Do you want to be their friends? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe she wishes she was the one with the exclusive. <laughs> that's Andrea's real plot development will be becoming a super friend friend. Acknowledging that that's what she wants deep down in her heart. Yeah. Yes. And then we got a message from Hobbit Killer, who it's not a question, but just wanted to share that they... Love the comment about Alex wanting a dragon right before we find out that her future child breathes fire. <laughs> Perfect. <gasps> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Although, are we sure that Esme breathes fire? Mm. Mm. Mysterious. Or that that is her specific power. Yeah. Mm. And then we have a question from Alex Rules. With a Z. <laughs> a fifth dimensional imp is the villain of the month this season, which is very interesting. What do you guys think the fifth dimension is like? Oh, I don't know. Not great from how <laughs> Nixley's <laughs> depicted it in her mind and also kind of how Mixie acknowledged mm -hmm. maybe some of the less good things about it. We know it was a very strictly patriarchal society mm -hmm. in an oppressive way. Mm -hmm. Do you have thought cycles? The clothing we've seen has been semi like formal, but also mm -hmm. they they were like prince and princess and king. That's true. <laughs> so there's that. The background of the fifth dimension set was very light filled. Mm, so yeah. perhaps that has some element to it. Well, the thing is, it's like, how do you thinking of like fantasy genre? Like, how do you pick like a world that's just everyone's like a magical being and everything mm -hmm. is just at the snap of your fingers? It could change in a moment. So like... Mm -hmm. The idea that it is full of like wispy clouds and like <laughs> everything's very nebulous and easy to change. I'm like, yeah, I vibe with that. That, that works. Yes. <laughs> I feel like it could have a little bit of the like the elf kingdom from Lord of the Rings where there's like everything's glistening and like fancy. Oh, that actually it does really evoke that <laughs> now that I think of it. There we go. I don't know. I, it seems like it could be really pretty to look at, but I don't know that I'd want to live there. <laughs> So that's our episode. Next week is Hope for Tomorrow. Or should I say tomorrow is Hope for Tomorrow for the episode. Erin? <laughs> yeah, we're on episode 15 already. We're getting down to the end. There's only five weeks to go. Six episodes, though, because the finale is going to be two in a row. Mm. So as usual, if you have comments, questions, or other feedback, you can send it to us at SupergirlsAttic on Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram. In addition to the new episode next week, the cast of Supergirl is going to appear in a pre-recorded panel for DC Fandom. It's going to air on the 16th of October. Mm. So we'll definitely be taking a peek at that if you also have comments or thoughts about that. Yeah. And thanks for listening. 